Hi there, I'm Jim. And I'm Claire. Let's talk teaching. Welcome to Let's Talk Teaching, a podcast from the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Technology here at Illinois State University. I'm Jim G. Joining me today, once again, our director, Dr. Claire LaMonica. Hi, Claire. Hi, Jim. Today, we want to talk about, I think this is the seventh of our seven principles for good practice in undergraduate education that we've been talking about for the, you know, on and off for the last many episodes. Um, and today, number seven, respect diverse talent and ways of learning. And... We didn't, we didn't save this to the end for any particular reason, but I think it is one that uh, I know I, as a teacher, I bring a lot of preconceived notions into the classroom whenever I start a semester. And so this is one that I think I really have to think about and kind of remind myself of every semester. So what's it all about? Well, I, I think in terms of preconceived notions, there are a couple of things. And one of them is, um, and, and this, is, this is an assumption that it's easier to hold perhaps early in your career, but we always need to remind ourselves throughout our careers, we need to remind ourselves that our students are not us. Mm -hmm. um, it's easy to come into our classrooms thinking everybody is going to be just as excited about this topic or discipline as I am. Um, and, and sadly, that's not always true, particularly um, when it's not a major's course. Mm -hmm. um, so... So there's that, but I think I think most people are sort of aware of that that they that they think that another challenge or another sorry another assumption, which relates directly to this uh, principle, is that there is such a thing as learning styles, and if you ask a faculty member, many faculty members, and you say, um, "What's your learning style?" They'll say, "Oh, I'm an auditory learner. I right. really need yeah. to hear things yeah. to be able to." to uh, learn. Or um, if you ask a student, they can, students can usually tell you, oh, I'm a visual learner. You know, I, you lecture too much. I can't, I mm -hmm. can't learn from you because I learn when I see things. I don't learn when I hear things. There isn't any such thing as a visual learner yeah. or an auditory learner. Um, the, this is sort of folklore that has been discredited in the research. Um, especially recently. I mean, there's, yeah. there's been a lot of research in recent years and it's, and it's, uh, it is a long time dying off. People are so, this is so deeply ingrained in our belief systems that it's really hard to blast it out. So much so that we were talking uh, about a week ago when we were talking about doing this episode, um, it is pervasive beyond the academy. I mean, I had my, oh, my yeah. sister said, well, I'm more of a, I don't forget what she said she was, but, yeah. you know, and I kind of <laughs> smile and say, nah, Why you're really not, but, yeah. Um, yeah. You know, that sort of thing. I used to tell people I was a kinesthetic learner, which I... That's another one. Which, kinesthetic learner. You need to get up and move around. It yeah. sounded impressive. Yeah. <laughs> I need to do things with my hands. Right. I need yeah. to do things with my hands. Yeah. Anyway, so so these have been widely... Uh, you know, we, 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 have a, we have a human need to kind of categorize things. Right. And, and so I think that these are categories that we've clung to for too long. Um, so why are they not true, though, I guess? What, what is the truth behind this? Well, I think the truth behind it is that um, we all do bring uh, different uh, strengths mm -hmm. to our to our classrooms and to our learning, um, and different inclinations. So I wanted to take a minute. I don't usually do this, but I wanted to actually read a mm -hmm. little paragraph about this um, this principle. And and it says, 
People bring different talents and styles of learning to the college. Brilliant students in the seminar room may be all thumbs in the lab or art studio. Students rich in hands-on experience may not do so well with theory. Students need the opportunity to show their talents and learn in ways that work for them. Then they can be pushed to learn in new ways that do not come easily. So I want to hold that last sentence for a minute because that's a hugely important sentence. Okay. But I want to go back to the beginning uh, where it talks about different talents and styles of learning. So the truth is we all learn through all of our senses. We may rely particularly heavy on, heavily on one particular sense or another, mm-hmm. um, but it's not that we can't, you know, you, we can't learn if we don't have a, a given sense. I mean, we can right. all learn. It's about learning. We do have, however, we do tend to have different strengths. So while I've kind of finally at last, and, and you know, it took me a long time to let go of this idea of, of auditorial auditorial learners and visual learners and kinesthetic learners because it you know it was so ingrained mm-hmm. in my in my mind something that i like though is and i still like um, although there are disagreements even here at CTLT about this is is i like howard gardner's multiple intelligences mm-hmm. and i like it because it reminds me that all of my students are smart in some way I happen to be um, I happen to be predisposed to reading and writing, so you know, lucky me. Mm-hmm. That's you know because that's the way school is is that's the way school is predisposed. You sure. know, so um, but but not all of my students are predisposed in that same way. Some of them are are very talented in in other ways, mm-hmm. um, spatially, kinesthetically mathematically, you know, lots of things. Mm -hmm. Um, And the challenge to me is to help them uh, use their own strengths to do what they need to do, to to learn what they need to learn and do what they need to do in my classroom. Mm -hmm. And I think that's key uh, to what we're talking about here, because whether you agree with uh, Gardner's work or or you or or you are going to hang on to visual audio, all that other stuff, in some ways that framework doesn't matter. It's just recognizing that there are different strengths that that students bring to the table, that they have different talents. I guess my next question would be, as I'm beginning a semester or during the course of a semester, how do I identify what those talents are, or or do I do I not assess the students for those talents, and instead, I'm just making sure that the way I've structured structured the course kind of is good for all time zones, yeah. good for all yeah. audiences. You know, um, you're sort of starting to get to the area of universal design for learning, and and that's you know that's its own podcast or six. <laughs> sure, right. It's, it's, but yeah. um, but ideally. That's what we want to keep in mind. We we want to have we want to structure learning experiences in ways that allow students to come at them in in various ways or, or from various areas of strength or mm-hmm. predisposition. Mm-hmm. Okay, so if you assign students to watch a TED talk, okay, uh, as part of their homework, then um, that's good because TED talks are are closed captioned, and a student who uh, likes to both listen and read at the same time, mm-hmm. can do that with a TED Talk. Mm-hmm. If you 
um, find a find a clip on YouTube mm-hmm. and you want them to watch that, that may or may not be. You know, it, it it's I think that it's not going to be closed captioned. It it depends. Um, it, yeah. it, it, it may yeah. depend. But you know, it would be great if you could do some captioning mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because then both students who need that mm-hmm. maybe they're dyslexic or maybe they're visually impaired um, mm-hmm. or maybe they're hearing impaired. And mm-hmm. so some modality isn't going to be accessible to them. Mm-hmm. But if you present the information in more than one modality, mm-hmm. then it's good for everybody. Mm-hmm. Students can mm-hmm. choose to listen to it. They can choose to uh read the the text the captioning mm-hmm. um or they can choose to do both mm-hmm. and and something is probably going to work for them if there's a student who has an actual documented need right uh then there's a mechanism here at the university to help with that as well to make sure that the videos that you're presenting in class are captioned um and we actually did a, a, a recent uh episode with uh jen bethman over at, um talking about some of that yeah. and, and about accessibility. But more to the point, even students who don't have a documented disability or anything that you would even consider to be a, a, a learning challenge like that, it's still better for them to have those multiple... See, you would say modalities, I would say channels, because that's, I right. come from a communication yeah. background. Yeah. We know communication is more effective when it uses multiple channels, the same message through multiple channels. Right. So if you can read it, if you can hear it, if you can see it, um, right. different, different sort of things. If you can feel it, smell it, and touch it, yeah. Hey, yeah, or even, you know, feel it, smell it, and taste it. Yeah, <laughs> even yeah. better. Yeah, right. Exactly. But that's exactly. not usually the case in our classrooms, yeah. unless we're in a really particularly wonderful, you know, maybe a horticulture class or right. a, yeah. Or, yeah. or a food science class or right. something. Yeah. But you can, but you can also, um, by coming up with different ways for students to apply that information, um, which is, goes goes into other aspects of active learning and stuff like that. I think that you can still that gives you more opportunities to find more different modes with which right. to work with the same right. the same knowledge. You know, going back to the um I, I always knew I was always a note taker in class. I was mm-hmm. trained to be a note taker and we may have talked about Mr. Bell, my seventh grade science teacher. I don't uh, think I've heard about Mr. Bell. Mr. Bell, uh in a he, he taught junior high science, so I had him for two years, seventh and eighth mm-hmm. grade in Washington, Illinois. And um, the main thing he taught us to do was actually how to take notes. And he taught uh-huh. us a version. It, it ends up that they were kind of, a, they were like T-notes yeah. where you put, yeah. where, where you take the information. Now, he was spoon-feeding us. Okay, this goes on the left side of the page yeah. and this goes on the right side of the page. But then, then after a while, he kind of took the training wheels off. And it was almost a version of Cornell notes, uh, the Cornell yeah. note-taking system, um, which, which, again, kind of uh, divides the page left and right. But anyway, I... I, I used to think that I could not learn if I did not write it down and that that meant that I was somehow that type of a learner. But what it really meant was, no, I'm hearing it and I'm doing something else with it at the same time. And I'm doing, I'm doing a different sort of cognitive you're processing. workout. I'm actually yeah. processing it. Yeah. Um, and it you're goes not transcribing, you're processing. Right. Which goes, which goes to studies nowadays that talk about keyboard uh, usage versus handwritten right. notes and, and, and student achievement and stuff like that. It's, it's not the technology. It's how the technology is being used. What I'm getting at, though, is that I found that I was doing better in courses where that's how things were taught. Now, fortunately, most courses were taught where someone was speaking and I was writing down notes on what they said. Also, by the way, there were a lot of doodles in the margins yeah. too. So, and that, and I don't know what that says, but, um, so it's, it's a matter of structuring, you know, not everyone's going to learn like I learned. So what about those students who don't, 
who aren't doing that? How, how do you get them to do that cognitive work while they're learning? That's another way I think of approaching it. And I'm not right. sure what the answer is. I think right. it depends on what you're teaching. Right. Yes. Well, and, and yeah, a lot of it depends on what you're teaching. And a lot of it mm-hmm. depends on what they're learning. Um, there's, a, I think, on this podcast page, we're going to have a link to a TED Talk okay. um, that actually addresses that issue, that it's, um, you know, some kinds of learning mm-hmm. uh, require particular attention to s- some uh, some senses or some mm-hmm. predispositions or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I think um, the more ways you can make information available to students, the better it is for everybody. Right. That's the whole principle behind universal design. You know, the sort of metaphor for universal design is curb cuts. Curb cuts um, became sort of omnipresent, okay. you know, after the Americans with Disabilities Act was passed uh-huh. because... Um, there was a lot of emphasis on making our towns and cities, cityscapes, avail, uh, you know, useful for people who are maybe in wheelchairs. Mm-hmm. Well, turns out people with strollers love curb cuts. Right, exactly. You know, yeah. people on roller skates or skateboards, you know, I mean, there's a or lot. Or people who just trip over their own feet like <laughs> yeah, me. Or people who trip over their own feet. I came out of know? the movie theater a couple nights ago, and of course I was distracted because I was checking my email on my phone and all that other stuff, and I went, I stepped off the curb into the street, and it was like, oh, I didn't know that was coming. <laughs> yeah. I could have very much used a, a nice a, gentle a slope. A nice gentle slope to get down, yeah. So that's a, and, and I think there are a lot of other examples uh, um, in that too. I mean, when we talk about, um, and we talked uh, again with with Jen about this about online uh, design and layout. A lot of the things that that uh, will certainly benefit someone who has a, a special need as far as using a website or using online resources that we that we post in teaching. It actually makes it easier for all of us too, right? Because a lot of it is just making sure that it's well organized and uh, presentable and and, yeah, and easily it, accessed. A, yeah, yeah, and there's a flow to it and whatnot. Yeah. As we talk about. Okay, so we've been talking about kind of the conceptual level here. Do you have an example of uh, either an assignment or or just a general practice that you've used uh, over the years in teaching that you have um, changed to make it more uh, to to yeah. respect a, 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 you know a, a diverse learners? Well, I'm sure people get tired of hearing me talking about um, <laughs> talking about teaching writing, but that's what I teach, so yeah. that's that's what all my examples come from. Yeah. But um, there was a time when pretty much everything that happened in my writing classes happened in writing, because hello, it's a writing class. Sure. Then I read um, a really smart book by a former colleague of mine, Patricia Dunn, who was here at Illinois State University in the um, English department. She's now at um, SUNY Stony Brook. And um, it was called um, Learning Reabled. And she had another book called Talking, Moving, Sketching, or Sketching, Moving, Talking, or something like that. Um, but the, the point of her work was that um, we can use students' strengths or preferences to lead them into um, the kind of work we need them to do, even when that's not a preference. What I did was start was start giving students choices about, for example, pre-writing. Mm-hmm. You know what? It's a writing class. At some point, you've got to give me samples of your writing, mm-hmm. um, lots of them. Mm-hmm. But the way that you start thinking about your topic, that could be that could be anything. Mm-hmm. You know, you could sit down and 
play the piano for a while if that helps. I actually, it was it was very interesting. Yesterday I was um, visiting with the Illinois State Writing Project, which is meeting here on campus, and we were talking about, um, we were actually talking about personality type and writing and how um, Myers-Briggs personality types affect the way you write. Mm. And um, I said, you know, my my style of writing is get up and walk around for a long time and you know, move and come back and sit down and write a paragraph and get up and walk around and come back. And um, so it's at at one point, um, our assignment was to start writing. And I got up (laughs) and I walked over to the book table and I picked up a couple of books and I started just sort of reading through the books. And then I went back and I, and I sat down and I started writing. Mm Mm-hmm. And it was just a perfect example of how what I need to do to get into that. It, pretty much everybody else in the room, part, some of them partly because it was the first day and they everybody was being pretty obedient, you know, right? Yeah, sure. <laughs> compliant. Yeah. Um, but um, and and I, having worked with the writing project for many years, felt completely free to do whatever I wanted. So mm-hmm. I was comfortable doing that. But everybody else in the room just got out their pens and their pads and, and they started, started writing. That, yeah. So um, I think letting people come at what I need them to do from a lot of different ways and mm-hmm. not trying to over-regulate that okay. and, and letting them know that there mm-hmm. are options to ha- for how they get started. Mm-hmm. So two things come to mind when I, when, when I hear that story. One of them is doing something like that. And I think you, you had mentioned before about how um, students who, who were more visually oriented at, at some point as a pre-writing exercise, you would allow them to sketch Sure. Or, or uh, you know, to draw mm-hmm. or something like, to, you know, to, you know. Doodle. But, but also you weren't going to, yeah, doodle, exactly. <laughs> but you also were not going to let them turn in like a, an art portfolio for a writing project. Right. You know, so, right. so at some point, like you said, the rubber has to meet the proverbial right. road. But it's a way, so doing what you're doing, it's a way of flipping it around when you have a student come to you and says, I can't, I'm not a good writer. I'm not a math right. person. Right. I'm not a computer person or whatever. You can right. find other ways to kind of ease them what into it. What kind of person are you? Yeah. Let, and let how them, can we use that? Yeah, 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 and get them to think about it. And that leads to the other thing, which is the other aspect of the story you just told is that you are very aware and have reflected for a long time on what kind of a learner you are and all of this other stuff, whereas I don't know if students actually bring that level of awareness. Um, so how do you well, – do, do you have to have a conversation with students about finding their learning style in your course, or no, is that you too know, much? No, you know, as a matter of fact, I would not, particularly when we're talking about learning style, I wouldn't. I, I think you will have students who will tell you, yeah. you know, as we talked about earlier, I'm yeah. an auditory learner, I'm a yeah. visual learner, I'm a kinesthetic learner. Yeah. Um, they they do know that. That's been, you know, that's been out in the schools long enough. Right. That's a cultural that, thing. Now. That's a cultural thing. Yeah. It's 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 out there and students have identified themselves in those ways. But I think what you can, and, and I don't, I'm not somebody who spends a lot of time, you know, having my students take different kinds of inventories. I mean, in, mm-hmm. a, in a typical class, I, I don't do that mm-hmm. so much. But I do spend a lot of time talking to students, both in class and outside of class, one-to-one. And when they're stuck, I'll talk to them about, you know, what, what do you like to do? Mm-hmm. Um, how do you get started doing that? You know, and see if we can't make a connection between the things that they feel are their strengths, the things that they that they feel comfortable doing, is there a way we can utilize that to um, 
to push them to do something that's outside their comfort zone. Because you know what? Yeah. If you're not outside your comfort zone, I've said this so many times before, if you're not outside your comfort zone, you're not learning anything. Mm-hmm. You're only comfortable when you're in your, you know, you're only comfortable when you're already, you, you get to sort of roll around in what I already believe and know, you know? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and once you get outside of that, you're not comfortable anymore. So, Get, and, and that's why I said, you know, we wanted to come back to that last sentence in right. the paragraph, which was, you know, students can be pushed to learn in new ways that do not come easily. Because really, you know, we can't, any of us, always operate from our strengths. We just can't. Mm-hmm. I mean, at some point, well, I hope my husband's not listening to this. I don't actually balance my checkbook. Um, <laughs> but, okay. But, you know... Best practice (laughs) is that you sit down at least once a month and you balance your checkbook or Mm -hmm. you at least go through, you know, you you look at the numbers and you make sure that everything makes sense. I I don't get to, (laughs) ideally, I don't get to say, oh, I don't do math at all. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, that's not the world I live in. At some point, I'm going to have to fill out a spreadsheet. I'm going to have to follow a recipe. I'm going to have to balance my checkbook. I'm going to have to pay my bills. I'm going to have to figure out how much my tank of gas is going to cost me. You know, I got to do math. And and it's understanding that there are degrees, but there are certain degrees you need to, you need to, to engage in an activity in order to right. just be functional in, in modern society. So when people say they're not a computer person, that's acceptable. But what that really means to me is, okay, I'm not going to expect you to build a computer for me. <laughs> but as far as at least finding information in a computer, that ship's kind of sailed. We're all doing that now. I mean, yeah, uh, you just got yeah. a new refrigerator. I bet that refrigerator is more computer than refrigerator. It uh, probably is. You know, at least yeah. under the hood. It's You know, I haven't looked under the hood. It's such a thing of the hood is so beautiful. But, <laughs> <laughs> but um, I'm, oh, yeah, I'm sure yeah. it is because it has right. all these little digital numbers and things on the sides of the doors. Right. So, I mean, it can literally be my, my new refrigerator can be programmed. Right. And right. so, um, yeah, I and, don't get, yeah. I don't have the luxury of saying I don't do technology. Exactly. Also, because, you know, it's in my job title. <laughs> well, there's that part There's that part Oops. of it, too. <laughs> Claire, thank you so much. This has been a great conversation. Thank you, Jim. And that's all the time we have for this week's episode of Let's Talk Teaching. You can find out more about our podcast by going to our website at ctlt.illinoisstate.edu. Click on the podcast link in the upper right of the page. For Dr. Claire LaMonica and all of us here at the Center for Teaching, Learning, and Technology, until we talk again, happy teaching.